0: it's about the tools we use it's about the stories we tell it's about how we change it's evolution baby And we're back for another episode of Do the Evolution. And today's episode is a bit of a continuation of our last episode that Michael and I had. And in the last episode, we were kind of talking about this moment in time and some new decisions we're going to make, have to make systemically about how to kind of uh, stop the information pandemic and create some shared reality again, but like, what are the ways we're going to have to approach this from a systems point of view? And today, we're going to flip that a little bit and talk about what can we do as individuals, so our personal um, responsibility in this new media climate and ecosystem, how is it we can create um, new processes in some sense for making our way through this just absolute onslaught of information that's now coming at us and some different ideas and techniques and strategies um, for like, ah, how can we get through this? And so I'm excited to be back with my man, Michael Porcelli here to to talk about this.
1: Yo, here we are. I love this topic. I think um, it kind of hits on things that I've grown to love uh, or maybe have loved for a long time, like education and and science and learning and those kinds of things and philosophy and the epistemology part of philosophy, which is how we know what we think we know um, Yeah, better and worse ways to go about that. And so like, this is, there's no way we're going to be able to get into all of it, but my hope is especially, you know, if, if you weren't already connected to the kind of whatever chaos of the information landscape that we live in on the internet through your social media feed, if the 2016 election, Brexit, and that didn't do it, hopefully this information pandemic that's happening during the time of COVID is doing it for you. Um, and, you know, I, I know at moments I kind of pull my hair out looking at just like I'm literally hearing like complete opposite reporting of, you know, Sweden's doing great. Sweden's doing terrible. And it's like that's just as a simple example. It's like how yeah. do I how do I even go about trying to understand what is or isn't right and maybe just in the face of misinformation, I think there's sort of um maybe two reactions that come from at a basic level. Like one is "Uh, put your head in the sand. I'm just going to unplug and go back to, I got a vegetable garden in the backyard and I have yeah. music that I like to listen to. And I have like the, my favorite fiction authors and I'm going to read those books or watch another, you know, Netflix fantasy series, Whatever you might kind of qualify either as like, escapism or just um you know paying attention to other things let's just say like making sense of the global world and what's really going on is too hard i'm giving up um or another kind of form of of that i think is i'm gonna trust authority xyz right you sort of pick your authority that for some reason you think is trustable then you just outsource your trust in as as like uh in in that whatever it is if it's fox news or if it's the new york times or if it's donald trump or if it's bernie sanders or whatever and you just kind of go like yeah what they say I'm, i mean more or less is kind of near what i think is right so i'm just going to like just go there and then I'm going to yep. gather that information and be like, that's the right stuff. It's, a, it's oversimplification, but I think people either bury their head in their sand or just outsource it to an authority, pick one or pick just a couple roughly close to each other, like a cluster, and then just check that off. That's, that's how I understand how it's happening. That's how
0: I understand the world. Right. I, they said, so that channel, they said, it's this, so it's this. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've done that, <laughs> right? I, I definitely have, uh, uh, I definitely have those muscles in me, and I think to some extent, living in a global society where there is this much information, that's always going to somewhat be the case, right? Uh, it's impossible, I think, for any one person to understand everything. Totally. Um, but what I hear you kind of speaking to is okay. What maybe? What's the middle ground, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I stay active? Not totally um, outsource all of my critical thinking or belief. um, And also not just totally withdraw and say, fuck it to the whole process. I'm just going to do my thing over here. Whatever happens to y'all, good luck. Um, But like, what's this kind of middle ground? Which is something I imagine, um, you know, certainly somewhere I want to be. And I imagine a lot of the people that would listen to us are kind of more in that vein. Totally.
1: Yep. Yeah, so, you know, you could think of this as like directly related to if you took like a critical thinking course in college or a philosophy 101 course, basic argumentation, blah, 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 like that type of thing. I think you know, if, if I think about what that course was like in my college years, it was pretty cool. You know, you learn like logical syllogisms or logical fallacies and they had these fancy Latin terms to them and yeah. that sort of thing it's like. That's cool and important. And if you don't understand those, I think it's good to be able to understand it or or refresh your memory on those. But really how far it has come since then is really kind of mind blowing. And I want to, I want to kind of expand on that rather than just be sort of like remedial. We can just kind of like package that up and just say, cool, logical fallacies should be one thing on your checklist of things to check. Yeah. and not the only thing right another one you brought up last week was like media literacy and uh, you know I, I'm yeah I'm kind of curious if there's more that you could say about that just when we're focusing on the individual and their ability to kind of like what does media studies or media literacy give you if you kind of get how it works if you don't I don't know already know it or something like that what, what's that little aspect?
0: yeah that's um I mean, I think for one, just you know as a as a filmmaker, understanding how powerful uh media technologies are
1: mm-hmm.
0: right in terms of swaying our beliefs and our emotions, right that you know part of in my mind what good filmmaking or media generation is, is it's a way to deploy emotions onto people, right? To give people an experience, a perspective or a feeling. And that's a good thing when used, I think um, for good aims, but can absolutely be abused. And so kind of what we talked about last week is there's a history systemically of new media forms being used inappropriately, right? To kind of control or craft narratives or push people in a certain way that if you're not aware yet that that's something that can be done in any media, um, I think it's a dangerous place to be in as a, as a, user. And so this is one I've actually kind of been pushing back um, a, a little bit against, you know, people who have been sending things my way. I think particularly as we've been broadcasting a little bit more, uh-huh. some people have been pushing things on me a little bit more, but have you watched this YouTube video or seen this thing? Yeah. Um, Cause I think people are building a, a an image of me is kind of being anti-conspiracy in some sense which isn't totally wrong um I'm not totally opposed to it but where I've been pushing back is not so much on the um truth of the content but on like hey do you know who started that YouTube channel and why yes um and do you notice the keywords they used in that headline and and why mm. um to kind of point out that um, these new forms of media are being used. And, you know, this was a, a, a thing I posted the other day of, like, in the current algorithm of social media, um, it optimizes for polemics and contrarianism, mm-hmm. right? For, for uh, outrage, as a lot of people call it, or causing a reaction. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole... Kind of thought leader now Mm -hmm. that has come up on Instagram and YouTube for sure. That's just like anti-whatever everyone else is saying. Yeah. Like and you can build an entire thing around that, right? An entire brand of just being you post something and it generates heat for people. Either they are totally agree with you, because like, oh my God, he sees the matrix and no one else does, or that guy's so wrong. And yet I've still spent time reacting. So that's a long way of saying, um, Part of, I think, personal responsibility right now in becoming media literate is understanding the systemics of these algorithms and why certain information is being pushed on you mm. and why it's being framed in certain ways. And I think if you don't know that, um, you're, you're kind of flying blind as to how you, we, best intent or not through the creators are being manipulated by these algorithms.
1: Yep. Yep that's a huge part of it. Another thing that kind of occurs to me and everything you're kind of talking about is point of view. And maybe this is another kind of core concept in epistemics is like, I, I doubt there is, I would even go so far as to claim, like, I, I don't, I'm not even sure there is a such thing as any content without a point of view or context is another way of putting that, right? Like, yes, especially remembering this in the time of like a lot of docu-series are becoming really popular like tiger king or cheer or the one that we even posted about um this is not a conspiracy theory like there's absolutely the the point of view of the documentarian which is because of the stylistic construct of a documentary sort of Feels you sort of feel like reality TV does it too. You feel like you're getting this is the this is what really actually happened, right?
0: Totally, that is a great example of media literacy. As you know, someone who worked on a lot of reality TV when I was first moved here to LA, I can tell you first and foremost, it is incredibly scripted. It. Like it's actually very scripted. Okay, now we're going to pull you aside. You're going to say this. Now we're going to. Like there's moments of genuine spontaneity, but what you're pointing to both in reality TV and documentary is that yes, they tend to be about real life things, yep. but they still have a point of view. And if you don't understand that, then you can watch a documentary or a reality show and assume it's total truth total. versus a point of view on something that happened. That was true.
1: Yep. Yep. So even, even there, like, I mean, what, what's the thing on the checklist here is to is to ask yourself, what is it that is implicit? Like, what is the background? If you think about this, distinguish between like the foreground versus the background, right? Like the way that an edit is done on a newscast or in a docu-series or on reality TV or whatever, whatever the headline that is chosen or whatever the you know the lead line is in an article like these things are picked for reasons that are not strictly about the content right they are about the positioning of the content somehow and i think this is in a in a maybe simple way you know we could talk about this in terms of media literacy but in a deep philosophical way I think um, it really kind of calls in a question, like like is there really even such a thing as like the the point of view from nowhere, or sometimes called like the god's eye point of view? Maybe that does exist, but like certainly as soon as you get anything sort of in the form of a written word or on a film, you're not in that point of view anymore, right? Like
0: totally, like whatever yeah.
1: where the god's eye point of view is is the one that includes everything (laughs) and none of us have that one
0: Uh, because it immediately you know for our integral friends you know once we start communicating something verbally written through an edit it's it's moving into a different quadrant right so it can be received there's the intention of how i created it but there's also how does it land and, and what's the, the consciousness it's landing in of that person in addition to the consciousness of the person that made it. So knowing that is incredibly important and in just acknowledging, okay, there's always, uh, right, just what a good practice to recognize, okay, everything I consume is coming from a point of view. Yep. And even just holding that inquiry, what point of view mm-hmm. did this article, did this video come from? Mm. right Do- doesn't have to mean you agree with it or not but to just understand and at least open up to that question a, a little bit i think is incredibly important
1: yep totally cool so that's a great m- place on our checklist i think the other the other big one that became very popularized i would say basically in the first part of this new century that we're in is the, the kind of popularization of field called behavioral economics uh if you're familiar with the freakonomics book or the freakonomics podcast i'm kind of the the venerable founder of this field is uh, a guy named daniel kahneman who ended up winning i think the nobel prize in economics him and his partner amos Tversky won it kind of he he amos won it posthumously but the the big kind of bible of their years together in a popularized form is called the book called thinking fast and slow which if you haven't read it i recommend uh i recommend because it's like it's really kind of it's big and it's kind of excruciatingly detailed about these these different ways that they kind of gain this insight into cognitive biases and how even knowing about them you somehow cannot escape them um and this is uh <laughs> cognitive biases are a little bit like these there, there's actually some debate as to like why they occur or what their nature is but the simple way of putting it is like you know our our brains due to the limited capacity that we have or or the time space boundedness of being a, a of an organism has to make shortcuts in some type and so we do these things called heuristics which are kind of like rapidly Pattern matching things and then doing so will more often than not lead us to the correct action uh, under states of like incomplete information. And Mm -hmm. that they reliably misfire under certain conditions and lead us to incorrect conclusions. This is an oversimplification. Uh, Yeah. And this is probably remedial for anyone who's familiar with the cognitive bias literature. But like there's been now a whole cataloging of it um a whole kind of like even putting it into evolutionary terms like why these things exist from the point of view of biological evolution and there's some debate as to like how much conscious effort can be done to correct for cognitive biases and actually find daniel kahneman to be a little bit depressing when whenever he gets interviewed and people talk about it with him he's always like doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you know about them. It doesn't do you any good anyway. And I'm just like, <laughs> you really just, you gave this huge gift to the world and now you're just kind of giving up that like we can do any good with it. And I'm, I'm like, that's, it's like, it's like it borders on a little bit of the depressing that I kind of get from postmodernism as well. And interestingly, if this is, it's almost like the cognitive psychology that backs up postmodernism Really, if you think about it in a way. Yeah. It's like the postmoderns kind of intuitively kind of grokked this kind of systematized way of making errors that are maybe were a little bit self-serving <laughs> or something like that. And like, oh, that's that's interesting. But I like to believe that we can correct for it, at least in the collective. So now this is kind of the relationship between the individual and the collective we're going into here, which is like. I know as an individual person somewhere, I'm just like, I just don't know shit. Like the amount of things that I don't know far is far bigger than what I do know. Right. And then what I think that I do know is bound to be erroneous in some sense because I've changed my mind before. And Mm -hmm. the ways I can discover how I'm erroneous are by like taking these critical thinking tools. I, you know, you can start with the logical fallacies and then do the cognitive biases and like, use them on yourself right don't use them on other people like if you're yeah on other people it's i'm not saying like don't do it but like the temptation it's actually sometimes i wonder if there is like the cognitive bias bias or something like this which is like you know just using cognitive biases only as they apply to other people like <laughs> kruger effect or, like the more i like the more i understand logical fallacies, and cognitive biases the more i see how often other people are doing it which is totally kind of incomplete right like the idea here is is what that literature tells you is that you're even though you know about it you're still going to do it you yourself are still going to do it so having some amount of rigor discipline self-reflection and technique i would say even like psychological techniques like do it if you can and we'll talk a little bit more about these kind of techniques but i'll leave off finally like uh you know this rationality community which was uh there was a a blog called overcoming bias by an economist named robin hansen and a kind of a an ai researcher self-taught guy named elias yudkowsky kind of were co-blogging at this place called overcoming bias which became kind of an attractor point for what became the rationality movement which spun off into the less wrong blog Now it's like less. Yeah, I know. And and then off of that spun this thing called the Center for Applied Rationality, where they basically do something like personal growth workshops and seminars that are totally like uh, mental. Right. Rather than the touchy feeling ones that you and I are used to. It's all how to apply like, you know, self-reflective rationality techniques. To yourself such that you can incrementally overcome the cognitive biases that you're going to be prone to. So at least they believe unlike Daniel Kahneman, they at least you believe they can it can something can be done. Something can be done about it. So if there's people out there, so if you haven't encountered this stuff, get into it. Like there's many different ways to get into it, but definitely the idea that you can counteract cognitive bias through mental discipline is
0: possible. Totally. I love that. And that, you know, kind of tying it into what we first talked about in, in the sense of like identifying, trying to identify at least some of the point of views of whatever you're consuming, yeah, right? Like who who created it? Why was it created? What's its intent? Where are they coming from? What I hear you kind of speaking to with, particularly with cognitive bias is, yeah. And be aware of what's your point of view, right? What's, what's your meaning making system that generally probably has a bias towards something. So already there, we can kind of feel two important steps. Oh, okay, here's this piece of content. I notice I wanna share it or something, or that I have a strong reaction. Okay, what's its point of view? Where might they be coming from and why? And then what's my point of view, right? Uh, where might I be coming from? What my biases might be towards this, right? Oh, I see it comes from a right-wing website. Part of me probably immediately dismisses it. that's an example like I could own, right like there, there is a little bit of like those aren't my people. they're probably just making some wrong case, but just identifying that, like, oh yeah, I, I have um, a muscle in me that I need to be aware of that right. based on the source, I create a story about what it means mm-hmm. and it's it's truthfulness, and that's a bias I have to be aware of right when I, when I kind of consume. Um, information or ideas so i i love that yep as a practice totally
1: yeah i mean if there's a key takeaway here that i want everyone to really get is like all of these things if they're only used towards others you're not getting the maximal benefit you need to use it towards yourself and um using it across the board is wise but it's it's actually very easy to deploy them to actually solidify your own pers- point of view you can actually reinforce your own biases by only applying <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah totally
1: <laughs> so uh, we're kind of beating a dead horse here but yeah that's the <laughs> um so let's let's go from biases to uh, well i think there's a couple other things you know there's back kind of on checking biases in media literacy you know there's there's places you can go to online, you know, that do things like check facts, like fact checking sites. There's PolitiFact or Snopes. And even now there's kind of like skepticism as to whether those are reliable, but Because they have agendas. They might have agendas too, right? So, okay, at the very least I go, if something seems dubious, I go and check and at least see what Snopes said or what PolitiFact said and not even yeah. trying to like not completely outsource my authority to Snopes or, or PolitiFact, but also being like, okay, cool, I'm going to be informed here. Or another thing you can do is uh if you have like go to places uh see what kind of correlates there's a have you seen the media bias media bias check media bias fact check no they map out they do all the logos of all the news sources and they kind of chart them in a kind of a two-dimensional grid as to like you know is this more fact, uh, fact cool Is more opinion and is it more right versus more left and yeah you, like notice where you're and this uh this is it's like independently sourced where they position them from readers who decide to help media bias fact check calibrate where these things are relative to each other so they actually crowdsource this through a, a methodology i don't exactly know oh very cool yes but you know if if you're finding you're getting a lot of your shit from stuff that's like really on an extreme right or left and really on the opinion versus fact you are probably very misinformed um if you find yourself you might pat yourself on the back and go like oh cool mine is like roughly left of center or roughly right of center and mostly fact cool i'm doing good then right wrong right you're doing better right but the best thing to do would be Look on that chart for places you don't go to get news, and yes, some that are on the other side of your political bias. And then when a news thing hits, like whatever the latest headline is from your go-to source, let's say you like like to go to the New York Times or CNN or Fox, whatever it is. Cool, that's something that happened. And here's a point of view. Let me just go yeah. see if it also, there's another point of view on the same happening from another place. Right. So, and sometimes it's really enlightening to kind of see how the same event is being like opined on or reported on, <laughs>
0: like completely differently. Completely differently. And yeah, I, I have I, a data point. Yeah, that's such a great um, great practical application of kind of what we were talking about of, you know, the consciousness of who creates it and who receives it impacts it, so to speak. And that, you know, um, this is <laughs> taking it into a land of fiction, great examples of this I've always loved, or, you know, Rashomon is this classic Akira Kurosawa movie where the same moment plays out from different point of views and you're constantly, getting a recontextualization of the same event when you're getting more information from other sides. Right. Or it was actually one of the things I loved about the books of Game of Thrones of how Mm. I thought it actually did a good job of how would information spread back then. And, you know, an event would happen. And then chapters later in some other part of the world, you would hear a version of it and get to feel how it kind of morphed into different biases, depending on the region, which, which I loved. Yeah. so it's so true and I can say I didn't last long, but I attempted to do something like you're your sharing firsthand after the 2016 when I was like, wow, I I honestly was shocked. I just didn't expect that. Like I didn't see it coming, Yeah, uh, I, it didn't make sense to me. And I was like, okay, I, I have a big gap. So I subscribed to Breitbart and Drudge and oh man, I, I don't even remember which other ones. I lasted about four months, honestly. And then I just like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And then I kind of went back to you know, my sources. Um, but it's actually been useful. You know, We did a, a great episode with a, uh, our friend Casey about libertarianism and he got me exposed via Twitter to some kind of more libertarian thinkers mm-hmm. who are a little less sensational. Uh, some of them at least than kind of the more Breitbart style of things. And that's been a more healthy version of that to me of like a different point of view on what's happening in a, in what I feel like is a, a less kind of hysterical way that they're a little more, um, uh, clear headed about it. And, and that's a great example uh, of, I definitely have to be right. Super. And, and actually I, I think I shared with you or maybe him, um, then I had a personal problem, though, because I had subscribed to these people, but the algorithm had learned me in such a way that they wouldn't naturally appear in my feed until I spent some time going to their profiles yeah. and like reading some stuff. And so even when I had chosen to follow some people, I still had to use a little bit more agency to physically go and, and see some other point of views on, okay, what might be happening here? What's another perspective? Where might... Uh, where might i have a gap
1: yep totally like even even on what you just painted as a spectrum like i find breitbart and drudge a little harder to digest because it's a little bit more sensationalized or more opinion versus yep. but like if you're talking about like right of center stuff that i that i really like to be informed by national review cato reason are all really good yes um, and will challenge your point of view often if you're left-leaning if you're like more kind of Doctrinaire times or something like that. Yeah. My coastal left yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and so the, you know, the word that kind of comes up for me in hearing what you describe um, is cross check. Yes. Right. So cross checking the piece of information through a different sources. Right. And this is something that was a strength of traditional journalism that that was supposed to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. You couldn't just publish the piece of information until you got it. At least attempted to get it verified from a couple sources, its veracity, and then you could put it out, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, with those institutions kind of dissolving in front of our eyes, that responsibility gets pushed on us, I would say even more so, to kind of cross check some information. And this goes across many, many different ways, right? Checking out some different news sites. I find, um, I'm noticing, you know, Good to have some people that I like Mm -hmm. that I like I have some connection with that maybe have different points of view. Kind of kind of again like talking about our libertarian episode with Casey of like, oh, this is a good person to cross-check this belief I have or this article that I want to reshare. Like, hey, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. Because you know, I trust you. I might not agree with your worldview, but I trust you. And I think that's a important skill. So cross-checking it with other media sources, people in your network and then I think there's a very tangible one that's going to be coming up soon of, um, like I talked about last week in terms of just video, audio and imagery. Can you find other perspectives of it? Like literally, can you Google and find other angles of that shot Yes. or that, that piece of video? Um, and audio is going to be a little trickier, but I think, that's also going to be like a personal responsibility a little bit until some of these tools come in of like, okay, uh, what happens if I put this reverse image, search this in Google, right? What shows up that can be incredibly illuminating sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a stock piece of content. 40 sites pasted that posted that graphic all at the same time. Is that organic or is that something different happening there? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, another good example, I think of, our need to kind of cross-check information.
1: Totally. I love how you put that. And I think it does come in these two categories of like gaining some internet researcher chops yourself, uh, fact-checking approaches. There's even, I don't have anyone to refer people to right now, but I know there's at least a couple of uh, educational programs online you can do for a relatively cheap price about how to do fact-checking, right? Like kind of like, how to, how how does a good investigative journalist do fact-checking that yeah. you can learn their skills and techniques and try to start applying them yourself? I think that's a good thing. But then the other one you said too is like, do, use your relationships, right? There's like a certain amount of like um, interpersonal or intersubjective thing where it's like, you know, you, I have a friend and I have a lot of shared history with that friend, but maybe their views are are divergent from me, but we have a lot of shared context, shared history, shared trust, shared vocabulary. And like there's there's, you know, something about like what we're doing, which is we're just talking to each other as bros in a way which is different and supplementary to doing something like going out and doing my own investigative fact checking or or cross checking multiple sources on a particular news item. Doing what we're doing is also um An important component to that, an intersubjective component to it, a relational component to it, you might say.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, just one quick example that comes up for me and I might get destroyed for this, (laughs) but, uh, like a week and a half ago when the, um, Bill Gates stuff really burst into my media sphere, uh, and number of people I saw were posting petitions to take down ID2020 as it was a plot to vaccinate everyone and implant them with chips. I was like, huh, that's interesting. What is ID2020? And so I went. And I researched it, and I was like, "Oh, this is really interesting actually it's based on Hyperledger, and it has a couple people behind it. Hyperledger is an open source blockchain technology mm-hmm. platform that I think the guy that created Linux or someone's involved with. Um, I heard a great podcast with him, and then I, I looked into it, and I was like, "Wow, this actually sounds cool. This is like a digital identity based on blockchain where I have the ability to uh, revoke." my information from any organization or anywhere I've granted it to. So I actually have agency as opposed to something like Facebook or Google or, or someone else where you sign up and then your data goes out and you have very little control about what happens at it. And, uh, you know, I spent some time pretty researching it and, and going in there and it was nothing about microchips, nothing about vaccinations. It was a, a very different thing. As far as I could tell, it was literally an open source digital identity blockchain platform. Um, And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm actually okay with that. Like maybe there's some big nefarious thing behind it, but as far as I can tell, there's no evidence of that. What there is is some other quotes that have been like collapsed and somehow bridged to that in a way that didn't make sense to me. But I had to go out and do some research on it and actually spend some time on the website and like look into the the research of it and look into Hyperledger and look at some of the organizations that were building it. And my assessment was, this thing seems okay to me. Like I, I think a blockchain-based digital identity is coming and open source is probably going to be the best version we have of it. Um, but what I didn't do is cross-check it with individuals, uh, which I'm seeing is a missing gap of like, oh, hey, I wonder what Porch thinks of ID2020 or Casey, what he would think if I sent him that site yeah. or, or some of my other people to get some information.
1: Well, let's do a little bit of it now. You've done more direct research into ID2020 than I have. So all I would be doing would is sharing like how this interacts with whatever my background knowledge or prior beliefs I have about things, right? Like, you know, I definitely think that the ways that Facebook or other social networks are monetizing our, I, our data in ways that are basically consensual, but not, but they are also totally obscured right they're totally black box and the incentive structure macroeconomically i have question marks about we talked about that in our last episode yeah but the thing is the solution to that type of thing really is if you can take something and create it as a social movement that is about data sovereignty and where the data itself cannot be captured like basically, like engulfed and taken away from the public. Mm-hmm. And if the data is by default sort of like a blockchain is, like write once, like an indelible thing in stone, right? And then be able to kind of revoke access through some kind of smart contract. Now, there's some tricky things in there because being able to revoke access and having it be an indelible blockchain are tensions that pull against each other. So, like when it all comes down to it, like, do you get to just unplug to any no more future data gets to be on there but like the past data that you did have is still there um i don't know or there's some like is there like another layer of access rights that like be adjusted in the future that affect access to the past so like these are sort of technical level details that my software engineering mind automatically goes to, which I'd be like, oh, oh, interesting, but it roughly pattern matches the idea, right? A consortium of public-private partnerships, especially philanthropic organizations, and we start talking about things like decentralized, and nobody owns it, it's not a for-profit co- corporation, and it it provides data sovereignty. That roughly fits the kind of solution that we need, right? Yeah, it is better than the nsa spying on citizens and is better than something like facebook monetizing our personal data in a black box way for profit we need another thing and it, you know we're not going i don't i don't think if unless civilization totally collapses but like, i prefer it doesn't we're not going back to the stone age so there's another something that needs to be created that does this type yes of stuff and that from the way that you've described it sounds like a good candidate it may have key flaws you know like the way people say like maybe the original bitcoin algorithm had flaws or whatever cool in which cases
0: that's a design or a technical issue but that can be worked out the rough and evolves yeah fit Um, but yeah that was a good you know that was an example of um and then i started just asking people like oh have you actually looked into what ID2020 is, mm-hmm. and most of them had not, <laughs> right? They just assumed it was this other thing. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. because, And it was particularly interesting for me because I saw it being posted by some people that were very crypto friendly and were like all about the blockchain and decentralization. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like this actually seems like a pretty big effort to actually bring this technology into a mainstream global way. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe some of the antibodies were, yeah, there's some big institutions attached to them and some big names. So Mm -hmm. that must mean it's corrupt. Maybe it is. I don't know.
1: But it could be. Like, this is another kind of data point. So uh, let's just do this. Keep going with this as a live kind of example, because I think it's valuable. If you're telling me like people deep into the crypto were suspicious of it, then there's a point where I'm like, okay, there are some people that sort of are kind of like crypto hype people. Who I don't trust their technical assessments about things. But then there's people who are kind of like, I think very crypto educated. So like if Vitalik Buterin had a opinion, Vitalik Buterin is a creator of Ethereum, if he had an opinion about ID 2020, one way or the other, like, oh yeah, the security and the cryptography here is good, or nah, it's crap. Like he I mean this is kind of I am outsourcing expert opinion, right? But like I'm outsourcing somebody who whose opinion I trust for other reasons. Right. Then I'd be like, oh, well, if if there's like actual intelligent crypto critique of ID 2020, then it could very well be that ID 2020 is one of those things that's sort of exploiting crypto hype. Right. For by yeah. institutions to get people to accept a thing that actually sucks. So, you know, this is kind of like, oh, so maybe that kind of will bump my assessment as, of ID 2020 in the other direction if enough trusted crypto sources critiqued it. Do you see what I mean?
0: Yeah, totally. I, and and that's a, I, that, that'll be a very interesting search for me to do, actually. Like, I wonder if he has commented on it, because that's someone who I would also have give some weight to in this equation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my, what I was speaking to was just a little bit more about people I knew that were champions of crypto hadn't taken the time to actually go, go to the ID2020 site and read what it was mm-hmm. from, from my perspective and when I had asked them. I was like, Oh, I actually think if you understood it, you might be a little more pro it, but you're, there's like a narrative going around where it's being fused with other stuff, right? like this ball of stuff. And you're, you're kind of taking that, but like, go actually look into ID 2020 and then let me, just let me know what you think of that. Um, but that's a great example of, of kind of, uh, weighted authority for someone like, um, uh. The ETH creator, I, I think that's a great, I'm um, actually, yeah, I can't wait to go search and see if he's commented on it now.
1: <laughs> and this, what we just did was a really good example of like engaging trusted friends yeah. to collaboratively think through a thing, especially somebody that you trust that you don't necessarily agree upon everything with. And I know you and I have that's the best. significant disagreements, but also a deep underlying trust and shared background. So it's kind of a cool uh, thinking partner to have in you. It's, the, it's
0: totally the best um awesome that that was really fun and i, I think a,
1: yeah cross-track good example cross-check so i want to bring in another thing which i kind of used implicitly just there which was um a very common cognitive bias is black and white thinking and the solution to this is that <laughs> you might say it's like gray area thinking which is a, a metaphorical way of putting it um but like. It's a weird thing if you if you think like well either that either that's true or it's not true or either that that did happen or it didn't, which is from the view from nowhere, God's eye point of view is true, right like yeah <laughs> that person shot that person or that person didn't shoot that person. that's right, but even in science there's there's a variety of frameworks philosophically that are used to um assess whether certain scientific um, knowledge is valid or not, or what we even mean by that. And one of them is this thing called um, Bayesian analysis, which I used there, which is is, ba- is basically weighting. You, you put probabilistic weight on things that uh, you believe. You call them like a credence level and usually um people are almost everybody is in either the camp of black and white thinking where they're just like i have to decide whether that's true or false they have this belief that they should decide about it so anytime they encounter a new question they have to find what the answer is or they feel like you know unless they find the answer you know they're in a state of un like this too uncomfortable or whatever they would need the security of yeah then i think some people kind of add in kind of uh and i actually find this is actually fairly common in in people claiming to be integral at least is uh something like the the 50 percent confidence level ah yes i'm very sophisticated it's like a coin flip right it's black or it's white or it's a coin flip which yeah. really kind of like reducing an entire spectrum down to three values which is kind of another form of lazy thinking, right? I could go either way. Totally. Right. Or you can call this the, the fallacy of the golden mean or something like that. where are just like, cool. just just the middle. Just take the middle. That's correct. And like that kind of what's wrong about that is like, you know, if, if you're talking about facts or policy, it's like, you know, we should be able to say that something is definitely better than another thing in the cases where it is. We definitely should be able to say, you know, we don't really know one way or the other when the, in the cases where we really don't, and then we should be able to create like nuance gradations in between all three of those values, right? Like, yeah, and uh, to essentially relate with your own beliefs about the world or what is true as degrees of probability rather than certainties. So essentially, you eliminate. 100% and 0% and you also try to like you don't try to avoid 50% all the time but you're very careful to only choose 50% when you're really it really could go either way um and actually cuz what's tricky is if you're like a, oh I'm 70% confident that's true and 30% confident that it could be something else that i mean depending on how you parse the words it could go either way like that still applies could go either way right but not equally so you probably if you probed your own mind you could be like no no no. i think it's actually okay maybe bill gates is a lizard person but i probably like i'm 99 point something percent sure he's not a lizard person right like that one for me is is that way right but to be able to assess like This kind of it's uh it and even there it's not fixed. It's a dynamic percentage. Those meters should move around. So when you said, Yeah, well, I talked to my crypto people who are all like blasting the ID twenty twenty, I was like, huh. Well, maybe that would bump it. Maybe that would bump up my confidence in the disagreement with the ID twenty twenty as being a good idea, depending on who this crypto source was. And I kind of threw out one Vitalic Buterin, which brings in a kind of another aspect of this, which is like what is it what that i could encounter in reality that would move my confidence level up yeah. or down right the falsifiability criteria which came from karl popper is like this what what uh demonstration would even if i think this is true what is it that could happen that would demonstrate that to, that to me that it's false um falsifiability is 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 like a an extreme version of asking basically the same thing would i update my confidence upwards or downwards and actually even you can even start playing a game with yourself like we just did which is like well if vitalik buterin said something about id 2020 which was critical of it for some of these similar reasons then maybe my opinion about id 2020
0: as a good idea would go down yes uh there's there's so much there that's so great uh it, particularly i think some of it relates to cross-checking number uh, the third one we talked about cognitive bias our own you know our own point of view and the point of view of the person and this is where uh, i do think that the idea of like levels and lines from integral theory are really important mm. um, particularly in a social media sphere of like what am i waiting to someone's perspective or opinion and why right in that um I'm not gonna necessarily wait something to uh Vitalik around maybe filmmaking. Sure. Right? Yeah. As I am crypto, right? He there's a depth of some kind of consciousness he holds, so I weight his opinion or his thoughts on that more than I would on other things. Right. And Mm -hmm. this is the classic thing we see in spiritual traditions and cults and all the time that I think is playing out in the social media sphere as well. Someone has obtained something in one level or or one line, Mm -hmm. one speciality. And it's really easy for us then to project um, other lines onto that. Well, they're spiritually developed, so they must understand how to invest in the stock market. Totally, Yeah. Right. Um, In Oh my God! They have a billion, They have a million uh, followers on their YouTube channel. They must know what they're talking about, right? Uh, maybe it's a yoga teacher, and suddenly I'm getting <laughs> information from them about, uh, yeah, he, uh, drugs, right, or or healing, or something like that. There's, you know, I think that's a bias we kind of have to be aware of. Of what are we waiting, and why? You know, what authority am I willing to grant to this person, so to speak? And, you know, and just to know. That yeah, and you know, I I'm happy to be hold plenty of ego when it comes to like if you got questions about fucking WordPress sites or filmmaking, come to me. Like you can really, I think you can really weight um, yep. my influence in that regard. But if you want to talk to me about you know hunting, I'm not your man. <laughs> like I have a perspective, but I don't have much embodied experience with it. I don't hold much depth in it. So I think. You know that's one that kind of I think actually weaves through all those in, in in some sense is just being aware of um, what I'm mapping onto someone in the in that in that system like you're saying mm-hmm. uh, and why right And that I think part of what we're gonna see emerge is more complex ways to deal with that of oh yeah, good authority it, it's not so much their authority, so they have all authority. it's in what bandwidth do I trust their authority yep. right institutions, people um, area, all of that yeah, exactly and that I also liked the thing around you know and I d- I have had to start this as a personal practice the certainty thing of like oh can I just rest in the in the gray a little bit mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be completely I don't think it has to go totally postmodern like well one's not true and the other one's not true none of it's true right. um, like the, the fuck it I'm out thing we were kind of talking about in the beginning yep. but like oh okay, can I feel the part? That's a little uncertain about this. Or can I at least acknowledge that maybe my belief is a partial truth, right? Or the counterfactual thing I'm reading is a partial truth. It's maybe not all to be thrown out. There's some partial truth in there. Can I can I like rest in that uncertainty and that discomfort just a little bit or a lot of it, <laughs> hopefully? Yep, totally. And then, um, yeah, the like, what would I need... I love what you said of what would shift, you know, what would shift me around this perspective? Like, can I actually feel into or think what would uh, identify that? You know, this is one I'm actually super familiar with on kind of more of an interpersonal level. And in a lot of the men's work I do, that's actually a phrase we use all the time, you know, um, what I would need from you to trust you more or what I would need from you to buy that when you say that, and then, you know, you give a man feedback and then he tries to implement it and, you know, you go from there. Um, But it's a powerful practice to acknowledge, you know, what I would need to um, be a yes to that or to believe that more would be this and to really kind of feel into that, like what evidence would sway me, you know, and and that's a great one I can go think about now of what evidence would I need to actually be like, okay, wow, they're right. ID 2020 is a global plot to implant chips in people and uh, vaccinate everyone. Like, holy shit, we got to stop this. Um, I have, that's a, that's a piece of work I haven't done yet to identify like, okay, what would I actually, you know, what evidence would I need? Um, and that's, yeah, that's good. That's actually gonna be a fun one for me to do. That's
1: true. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, if you want to like a real kind of um, real core diagnostic, if your answer to that is nothing, you're, you're making a mistake, almost guaranteed. If you're like, there is no evidence I can even imagine that I would encounter that would cause me to update my confidence, one more certain or less certain about a certain belief in particular. If you can't even identify, you are, you are, your thinking has become ossified.
0: Oh, That's that. so good. Yeah. Such a good red flag. Yeah. That's totally, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I like that one. That's going to be really good for me to uh, feel into. In these times of COVID, <laughs>
1: <laughs> the time of, it's hard to remember to do it all of the time. And I got to constantly remind myself of that. But, you know, I like to believe at least we can incrementally improve. We're definitely not going to be perfect. I think there's an aspect that, you know, we outsource to our relationships and in a way that we outsource it to the, the social system. Like even if scientists as individual humans are prone to cognitive biases, the idea is the whole enterprise of science is self-correcting at a collective level. And that's why we've made so much progress. And I think yeah. theres I have a high degree of confidence in my belief that that more or less is true in spite of all the setbacks or in spite of kind of like the changing of scientific consensus which has happened over history. Like, yeah, on the whole, the trajectory is like greater certainty, greater explanatory scope, you know, greater confirmation uh, experimentally and so forth. Like on the whole,
0: yeah, it has been. I love that. And it just reminds me of this idea that maybe we mentioned last week, but I think a powerful practice too is just that, you know, even scientifically and rationally, truth evolves, right? Sometimes we get new information that recontextualizes old information that we didn't have technology or awareness to measure at the time to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what you're speaking to is, I think there's a pretty good argument that certain things are becoming truer over time, meaning more and more evidence builds up Mm-hmm. strengthening that truth you know i think over time from multiple sources yep. that you know, that is probably a good indicator that the general trend of that that one's maybe yeah a pretty good thing to put some weight into
1: yep yeah it's it's kind of funny. I, I don't like that f- turn of phrase true er. the one that i use is something like just our credence is going up Ooh. yeah the credence is just going continually increment that feels good yeah i mean and it's weird it's never going to reach 100 right but it'll be like 99.999 yeah. you know something like that um let's let's branch a little bit into some of the common biases and then i want to offer another thinking tool and like those are the two major things that are kind of on my mind so there's there are so many biases but when it comes to you know what you believe is true or not there are some basic basic yeah some common ones that people share i'm I'm borrowing this somewhat from uh i most recently heard a a version of this from daniel schmachtenberger on his rebel wisdom interview and uh it's kind of funny because he'll he'll sometimes say things in a way where i'm like yeah that that fits my model of how i relate with with my approach to knowledge or something like that or whatever he's talking about but he puts it in a certain way that I, I kind of resonate with so I want to give credit um like one is uh you might say it's like is optimism pessimism or like um utopia dystopia or positive or negative kind of bias and this is actually super common like um you know if we if we, if we those are three different names for the same one like do you tend to be like No, man, progress is real and like shit's getting better and like shit's never been as good as it's ever been as it is now. And we're always constantly learning and we're always constantly improving. And anytime you want to like point out an exception to that or point out a setback to that, it's it's all that it is. It's an exception or it's a setback or it's just yet another opportunity to learn and grow and improve our society or whatever, our progress. Cool. All right if that as an attitude kind of like floats your boat i'm i'm behind it i i kind of tend to be in that camp like attitudinally but like that Ditto. means that i have to actually proactively check where where is it that i collapse um the counterpoint to that the best mm-hmm. argument for the counterpoint to that um you know because i i often find myself Wanting to be the valid counterpoint to the doomsayers, right? The the apocalyptic thinkers or the dystopian. This is just going to go total black mirror, y'all. You know, this is just going to get worse and worse, and the systems of control and we're it's just game over, man. Like this is like authoritarian overlords with their AI is just going to completely turn us into like Matrix pods or something. You know, the lizard people are going to whatever it is. Like, no, no, no. I I'm definitely not the dystopian person. I'm like. Hey, you're like, have you noticed, you know, there's, there's this thing called the negativity bias, the cognitive bias research, or the confirmation bias, or the availability heuristic, or like, you know, negative news sells, and they have a clickbait incentive. I can kind of sort of point out all these things like Stephen Pinker likes to point out, right? There's, there's a whole yeah. bunch of systemic reasons why people generally believe that certain things that we actually have data for are worse than they actually are. And I'm like, cool. So there's the place where I feel like I'm the voice of correction for the doomsayers but then i got to kind of correct it and think to myself like there's plenty of smart people including daniel schmachtenberger and including you know nassim taleb and other people who think um some of the effective altruists and long-term thinkers like toby Ord just released a book called the precipice about this about like why and how is it that we are actually aggregating a larger degree of of global systemic risk of complete self-annihilation or near self-annihilation. And I'm like, so in this weird way, it's like, it. so this is a place where I'm kind of like been critically engaging with myself is like, what are the plausible ways I can think about, like, you know, if Steven Pinker has like a million and one charts in his book about how all this shit is getting better, well, then the question is like, well, what about the stuff that we don't have charts for? <laughs> and maybe there's some like whatever yeah. societal dark matter or something that we don't quite have a, a metric for yet but it's getting worse right to assume that we're measuring all the things which would, would be an oversimplification right so like this kind of noticing which side of the like positive versus negative do you try to like try to like turn the story into like and this is why everything is getting better or just like the end of your interpretation always go like, and this is yet another reason why everything's going to hell, right? Like totally. if, if you notice yourself in one or two of those camps, that is a, another yellow or red light of your thinking is possessed ideologically by a kind of like positivity or negativity bias about where the story is supposed to go, or where it's going, or you want all the data to sort of fit that u- Uber pattern, right? Like,
0: Yeah. That reminds me of, it was in the latest rebel wisdom you sent me yesterday. And I think an article I I sent you, I can't remember his name right now, but we'll put it in the show notes. This great article that came out around conspiritual, I think was the word he created thinking and how there's kind of a confluence between conspiracy thinking and some spiritual states. And they kind of just very orienting generalization reduced it to like the two types of trips you have. Oftentimes there's, um, ego eradication in the positive sense, Feeling unity with all, like positivity. Oh, it's all going to be okay. We're all one. Uh, we're all one, uh, like beautiful euphoria mm-hmm. or paranoia. Oh my God, I'm separate. I'm being controlled. Nothing's working. Anxiety, kind of conspiracy, right? Like, and I've had both <laughs> types of psychedelic experiences myself. And that's kind of what I just even knowing, like, you know that's another version of this. Like, which one do I tend to orient towards, and mm-hmm. what might my personal psychology, again, my point of view of life, which one might it orient me to, right? And this is where, you know, being a, a, a white affluent male in America, I, I do tend to kind of orient a little bit towards it's getting better, right? Because uh, it has been getting better for people like me, yeah. <laughs> Generally for a long time, um, but I, I love that you, yeah, that's a great example of just identifying, right? Again kind of which of those two am i do i float towards
1: yep here's another basically uber one to look into in terms of bias are you biased towards certainty or uncertainty right if you're kind of a, this is going to retread some of the ground we just did before but like if you're biased towards certainty it's like you kind of have to know yes or no right or wrong correct or incorrect black or white did it happen or did it not happen um and in a way you actually have a relationship with science as like a set of confirmed facts which i think is if we kind of like touch into the systemic quadrant for a moment there's somewhat of a failure of the education system to that fails to teach science as a process and a way of interacting with the world versus a set of facts that you memorize in order to pass the test great point like and the fact that the fact the tendency for for many people who go through the educational system to sort of kind of almost like blanket categorize or label science as basically it's just this set of fixed facts that just keep accumulating if if it passed the scientific peer-reviewed blah 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 method confirmed the hypothesis randomized double blind controlled trial. Then it's now passed into the realm of confirmed consensus scientific fact. Right? And it's like it's it is not that way. It's not that way for scientists. That's the funny irony of thing, like yeah. or at least the good scientists, right? They recognize the contingency and the contextuality of all the things, right? That's actually good science. And the the bias towards uncertainty sort of flips you the other way, which is certain kinds of postmodern thinking or this kind of thinking of like no one thing is better than any other thing there is no right and wrong there is no true and false science just another form of religion it's just basically the same thing everything is about power or whatever like this way of collapsing your ability to even like have certainty about anything is a little bit of i would say at a certain point willful ignorance Right, right. You're you're kind of biased towards this kind of like like radical uncertainty. And you almost kind of wear it like a badge of coolness or something like cynical. And
0: totally, and it's
1: like, no, it's actually not that cool. It's actually stupid. It, and it's actually very. It's not nuanced and complex or sophisticated. It's actually very simplistic.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, part of what I hear speaking to is, right, at least in in my mind, it's it's kind of when our identity kind of becomes. Part of that, my identity is I am the one who's a skeptic or I am the utopian. Mm-hmm. That we just have to become aware of that again, right? Just, oh, and then in a social media world, when I have a certain identity and I have built up a certain following because of a certain belief structure, mm. there's actually a momentum and a gravity incentivizing me to keep believing that. Because if I got a thousand followers for being X, Y, or Z, And I get new information that changes my mind. Ooh, that actually be, and I'm making, let's say, particularly a living off of that attention. I've monetized it. Ooh, that's that's a threat to my well being. Right, that's a threat to to my livelihood. Uh, So again, and just another thing to look at the many ways we get fused into that, um, in some of these beliefs and tendencies.
1: Yep. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you brought up a whole can of worms there, like just incentives. I mean, you like, if we talk about like examining institutions for their incentives to either give misinformation or whatever, I love how you made it personal. Am I now, have I now created a public identity around being kind of iconoclastic or, or like a controversial thinker in a particular kind of way, like an Alex Jones person, like whatever's happened to Alex Jones, whatever his maybe genetic makeup made him, um, have a psychological issues or something uh yes it's definitely been amplified by the feedback loop between himself and his audience where they like they want to see him freak out about lizard people like totally and they give him attention for doing it so like he just yes. goes further and further down this kind of self-reinforcing feedback loop which i think is is sort of wild so like that's a be careful of that especially if you start to to form an identity that starts to become reified or something like that and you know even there like make changing your mind if you're going to be a person of the internet like everyone has a channel now i mean not everyone but more and more of us are if you're going to do that make something like intellectual humility or like your willingness or ability to change your mind about things part of the identity that you have like and, and i try I that. to do that as best as i can i mean i, I am opinionated but i also try to be like And I'm willing to update or change my opinions or my beliefs about the world when I'm presented with certain kind of evidence, you know, to to have that be part of my identity is helpful rather than having certainty or too much uncertainty either way. Uh, Another, another one, we'll do this one quickly is like trust in authority versus not trusting authority. Some people, this is probably a developmental one. You know, um, has to do with like how you relate with your parents or your teachers or other authority yeah. when you were younger. And it's like either you probably like learned to be like cool. I know how to play that game and get rewarded, so you kind of have like yeah, I defer to authority and I trust the experts. Or you never really were able to kind of play that game and kind of made your way being more iconoclastic or more of a rebel. Then you'll tend to kind of just generally mistrust authority, and so like noticing that as like a a big huge bias like that maybe kind of colors a lot of what you think is true or not true about the world is also important. Your tendency to over-believe authority and accept what you're told or your tendency to be overly skeptical of all authorities and not accept it at all.
0: Oh my God. Totally. I, and I, I love that. That one, I think ties back into kind of our second one of, you know, identify your point of view. And I, I know another way I, I, I hear what you're saying is, or, I conject that that often goes is, you know, if the system worked for us, a lot of times we're maybe a little more trusting of the system, right? If we were left out of the system or authority didn't work for us. Um, there's going to be a little bit more skepticism right in there. Uh, I think that becomes one of our biases, our point of views for, um, how we're making meaning of the world, but that's the yeah, authority, anti-authority, like such a good polarity to just notice, mm. right? To just notice. And, You know, that leads me into, you know, there's two, two just quick things that came to me. Um, And, you know, these are all related in terms of what we're talking about, these like kind of steps. But, um, you know, there's one I was kind of thinking about that feels kind of like the mindfulness component in a sense, just literally just somatically being able to like, stop, take a breath, slow down, Mm. notice what's happening in your system, right? Is there some tension coming up in me? Is there some kind of reactivity or heat or a feeling? And oh, you know, what's underneath that? Where might that be sourced? Mm -hmm. Which is probably oftentimes going to be sourced in some of our own personal lived experience, some of our point of view um, that I think is really important to kind of take that breath. And oh, what I feel, (laughs) I think in the sharing arena, I wonder if I waited 10 minutes, would I still feel compelled to comment or share this piece of information, right? Like mm-hmm. just taking that little break, I think could be a good check. Um, in, you know, there's another one that's just coming to me that's a whole can of worms, but uh, I will throw it out there is maybe just an inquiry for how might I be being hacked? Mm-hmm. How about my physiology, my emotional reactivity, my thinking and meaning? How might I be? getting hacked right now by an algorithm, by a system, by someone who's trying to monetize something. I think it's just an interesting question to to hold, you know, as we're consuming information. Um, And then the last one I've been thinking more about, and, you know, this does cross a little bit into systems, which hopefully a system will support it at some time, but reputation is something that's a little questionable on the internet right now Mm -hmm. in history. And like, again, this waiting thing, how could I get weighted with certain types of representation? Have I mostly shared what's turned out to be misinformation or do I mostly share information and then if it goes wrong, I correct it? Yep. Like, And that becomes part of my persona of like, and for me and on like a personal level, how I've kind of been holding that is um, if I share this, is it, and I think this is to some extent good leadership, like what it being a leader is, is this something I'm willing to own being wrong about? Yes. To carry with me, right? Like, okay, I this is what I believe. And if you check in with me two months from now, I was willing to be wrong about that. Like I, I'm actually willing to be wrong that in like right now, I'm willing to be wrong that ID 2020 isn't a global conspiracy of of that, right? That that's something I, I sit with. Like uh, but it it feels like an important check of like, would I be willing to be wrong about this and actually have that be attached to a reputation, right? Maybe a one-way uh, blockchain like we've been talking about where someone can look back and, oh yeah, he tends to mostly share stuff that turns out to be wrong. Do, how much weight do I want to give this person versus, okay, this guy's about 50-50, but you know what's cool is um, he does actually have a pretty strong reputation for coming back, like you said, and updating. Like, oh, I was wrong about this. I got this new information. My belief has evolved. And, you know, it's going to be kind of hard to track that on a uh, in some kind of systemic thing right now, but that's where as a personal practice, you know, like, okay, slow down, get mindful, notice what's happening in my body. Um, might I be being hacked right now in some way? How might an algorithm be trying to generate something in me and for what end? And then, um, is this information I'd be willing to be wrong about? like in in sharing it particularly a perspective or something i'm putting out like it's it's i feel like if we we i think that's seven things we kind of came up with there yeah um but like you know that might be something we can work to work into a a more coherent chart or something like that'd be a pretty bad that's a pretty good it's a pretty good system for kind of cross-checking overall yep how you're reacting to information
1: totally yeah I mean, in in kind of bringing this thing home, like inevitably, if you start to inquire into how you believe that you came to know what you think that you know is true, you will create a differentiation, which is kind of at this point become kind of a classic distinction between the map and the territory, between the model of reality that you use and the model uh, and reality itself. And once you start to see that, and you start to see yourself as a holder of models um then you can notice certain things along a longer term trajectory have i updated or changed my models over time like am i willing to be wrong about that you got it there have um are my models consistent with each other or at least am i minimizing their contradictoriness between each other oh yeah (laughs) or am i capable of swapping out models for appropriate circumstances because even within science the scientific paradigm there still isn't a grand unified theory of science. I mean, there's a, there's a process that people are more or less on the same page about, but like some of the, you know, mathematical models that have been created in one domain do not apply across all domains. So knowing to choose which model to apply where, am I aware of what's called multi-model thinking? And, you know, these are other ways you can kind of see, like I, your world Is my worldview coherent? Am I aware of my worldview as a worldview? Like, am I mindful of it? And do I have a way of like modifying it or changing it? Or does it seem like ossified or like fixed?
0: Uh, I love that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, in some of the men's work I do, what that reminds me of is just like, am I opening or closing?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Am I opening to more information and evolving and changing and getting feedback? Or am I closing and resisting? that right and the idea of opening and i think some of what we outlined here is a a way to actively do that as a process Mm -hmm. that serves you and how uh, serves us all i would uh, i would certainly argue in how we consume information and then serves others in terms of what we're putting back out as as a result of that right by trying to clarify and opening and cross-checking and all these different things we talked about the you know what point of view is uh, the information coming from, what point of view am I coming from? Who can, who can I cross check it with? Mm -hmm. Uh, what other sources, what other people, um, can I be aware of black and white thinking and the need for certainty and actually start to weight authority in, in appropriate ways? Um, and then, uh, what would shift me, you know, actually what piece of evidence or information would would I actually need to change my belief around this or that would allow me to update my models, so to speak. And then, you know, can I be mindful, slow down, just take a pause somatically and kind of notice what's happening in my system and even feel into why might I have that reaction or why might I feel compelled to share this right now? Oh, actually I had a really hard day at work and I'm feeling stressed out and this gives me a channel for it. You know, I've had moments like that. Um, might I be being hacked right now by a system or an algorithm? And then, you know, am I willing to be wrong um, about this? Like, am I willing to have this be part of my reputation that I put out or this piece of information or this belief or this truth? And, and I feel like that's a pretty good thing we just created today. Cool, man. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Good one awesome well thank you again michael porcelli for again helping me uh make sense of the world and this just wild wild moment in time we're living in totally all right buddy take care special shout out and thanks to screaming witness for the amazing intro and outro song check them out